I was, as she said that, I was cracking up, right? It, welcome, it, welcome here. It's good to be back. It's good to see all of you. And it's just fun, man. This is the house right here. This is the house. So it's good to be back in the house. Those of you that are online, and oh, I have some new folks coming in. So South Carolina, Texas, Utah, California. I don't know if those other folks, where are they from? Minnesota or North Dakota or something up in the warm, soon-to-be-frozen tundra. Welcome, welcome. Do something to change someone's life today. Amen? Amen, so good. So we love Jesus. <clears throat> she was announcing, she said, hey, this couple's in transition. I go, man, we live in a culture today. You got to be careful how you say that now. <laughs> right? It's like you honestly have to be careful how you say that stuff. So it's like they're transitioning. It's like, ah! It's all good. No, it's, we, listen, our world is, uh, as, through the travels these last three weeks and just travel around and stuff and meet with people and reading the headlines and looking at stuff, there is a major assault on God. Here's the cool part, though, is the assault on God he laughs at. And so we as his followers need to laugh at the assault on God, too. Taking it serious, like David took it when he went after Goliath, right? But at the same time, knowing that, that when we are doing stuff for Jesus and we get accused or assaulted by that, the real assault is against God. And God doesn't, he's not slack in it. He doesn't just see it and let it go over. This is what we forget about God. We've gotten into this whole thing with God where we've, we, we've made what they've done and what is done even in our, behind our pulpits is we've kind of made God out to be soft. We, we have mistaken long suffering for someone being soft. There's a big difference. Long suffering isn't soft. Long suffering is long suffering. It's the ability to take something, not be offended by it while he watches others suffer, but there will be, he's taken notes. God's taken notes. We know that from scripture when he says that he catches, and the psalmist wrote that he catches every tear that his people, he catches it, saves our tears in a vial. Now, you kind of look at that and you think to yourself, why would God save a tear in a vial? My personal opinion, my opinion, is he's going to present that to Satan. He's going to say, every one of these tears that you caused to be shed by my creation you will reap my wrath. You will reap my wrath. And I'll, I've said this for years. My family's heard me say it. I would much rather face the wrath of Satan than the wrath of God. Because the wrath of Satan is temporary. The wrath of God is eternal. We've forgotten that. And, we, and from behind our pulpits, we've taught a weak God. We've been teaching a God that is okay with everything, that, he's lo that his long suffer suffering is a, a soft to those things that assault his order. That's not the case. I don't want to see it, but when it comes down, I mean, you think, guys, this is the deal, and this is something we're beginning to see. We better start opening our eyes to it. We want to live in this peaceful, friendly world, blah, 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 blah. And yet, when we read the book of Revelation, we sit there and go, yeah, Jesus is coming back on a white horse, triumphant. 
Well, what's he coming back? That's called a war horse he's riding on. It's not, he's not going on a joyful plane ride. And then who is on the horses behind him? We are. On war horses. For what? To crush evil. To put an end completely to evil. We've all heard this thing. This is what we've got to get. I'm not promoting war and kill. But we better set our minds right with the whole counsel of God. Understanding what we are preparing for here in the supernatural here. How many times have you heard people say, um, we're talking about heaven, you know, you're so earthly good that you're, you're, you're so focused on earth that you're no heavenly good, or you're so focused on heaven, you're no earthly good. You've heard people say, man, you live your life in such a way that when you get to heaven, you won't even recognize Jesus. We've all heard that, right? Like you just live in a way, I've heard it with Christianity and Christians, all that stuff, right? And so what we do is we say, well, I'm going to have this intimate relationship with Jesus on this earth, which is super important. It's the number one thing. I want to be super intimate with my Savior so that, you know, Lord, it's you. I get to heaven, it's recognizable because as, on, as in heaven, it is on earth. Correct? You tracking? But we're also being prepared for the war. But no one wants to talk about the war because the war is uncomfortable. I shared it at Band of Brothers. I shared it a few weeks ago with you. We have become experts at taming the lion and the bear. The more I look at it, the more I talk to people, you know, we sing that song. First came the lion, then came the bear. Then, you know, Goliath fell. All I need is what? A memory of what? The stone in a sling of what? When you fought for me. But unfortunately, in the world that we live in, and even talking with people, there's a few scattered remnant that gets it, that they're doing it. But on a a larger whole, our churches are teaching us because it's uncomfortable. They're teaching you and me. They're teaching, if you're not in the word, how to tame the lion, not kill it. How to tame the bear, not kill it. So when the giant comes, when the Goliath shows up in your life, what you try to do is tame Goliath, but Goliath won't be tamed. But you don't have the instinct, listen to me, you don't have the instinct because you subdued your instinct to recognize and crush evil with appeasing it. Goliath will not be negotiated with. Just go to the Bible. This stuff's all in the Bible. That's why I love it. It's so, people say, oh, there's voids in the Bible. There's holes. There ain't no holes in the Bible. You just aren't spending enough time with Holy Ghost saying, show me this stuff. Like he knew, David knew that, listen, listen to me this. This is important. When the lion showed up to kill the sheep, who his father put him to protect, he knew that he couldn't, oh, hold on. Let me give you this one sheep. You take this over there and eat it and you just go your own way and you just take the one and I'll make a lie. You'll be appeased with eating one sheep. David knew that if you give that sheep, if he butchers that sheep, says, I need meat anyways, so I'll butcher it. I'll have some for my campfire tonight and my meals for the next few days and I'll give the rest to this lion and the lion will be appeased and leave me alone. 
No, the lion will gladly take the meat and run off, but the lion's coming back to take more. So David knew, I cannot negotiate with this. The instinct is, you're bringing evil to my house. You're bringing evil to what I've been guarded with to protect. It all rolls down. It rolls down to you specifically too, to me specifically. Well, David was a shepherd. He was guarding his father's flock. It's a picture of Jesus. Yes, sure. But it also is deeper than that, the meanings. A Jewish rabbi will tell you that every word of God is like a finely cut stone, like a jewel. And when you hold that jewel up to a light, it will shine 70 different truths through that cut prism. So yes, he is a type of Christ guarding the flock, but he's also you. What have you been given to protect? Whether it be family members or your mind. We'll all negotiate with evil. Negotiate with evil, it will come back and continue to rob from you. And then you'll make excuses of why it's doing it and blame everyone else for it robbing you. That's a fact. So what David did is he saw the lion came and instinct, for the instinct, this is where, oh, we haven't been taught this for about 80 years. Oh, dear God. The instinct of David was kill it. Kill it at any means whether by sling, by spear, by club, or as the Bible says, at one point, David snatched a bear that had, or a lion that had one of his father's sheep in its mouth, and he ripped, listen to me, this is gross and barbaric, but it's true. We don't want him here. Oh no, God would never do that. But I want him to just destroy Satan. David grabbed that thing, and totally ripped its jaws apart with his bare hands. The instinct to kill that which came to kill. That which came to murder, kill it. So when the bear shows up bigger than the lion, what does David do? Oh, I recognize you. You're just like the lion. I cannot negotiate with you. You will not be negotiated with. The only way for me to make, to set a precedence and for all other creatures, because animals are smart in the animal kingdom, and a lot of times they're smarter than us. If you've ever read that book, it's the number one selling book on raising sheep in the world. It's called Raising Sheep. The very first line in the book when you open the cover is, sheep are the dumbest animals on God's green earth. And it's ironic that he calls us sheep. If you kill an animal, like a lion or a bear, and you throw it out there, all the other predators stay away because they realize there's something here that can kill the thing that can kill them. See what I'm saying? So when Goliath shows up, David's able to look at Goliath and say, there is no negotiation available here. And you killed the lion, you killed the bear, and now Goliath will fall in the same way by my obedience to God in the fight to crush evil. But what has happened to us is we've taken the lion and the bear and we've tamed it. Because we don't want to be offensive. 
like I said, to our neighbors. And I already showed you that scripture, that passage of scripture means nothing what we've been taught in the Hebrew and the Greek. You guys all know what I'm talking about, right? To live a peaceful life. To live a peaceful life has nothing to do with, oh, I'll let you just do whatever you want to do. It has nothing to do with that. Just recapping. To live a peaceful life is to be found, made complete and whole in God. That is to be found living a peaceful life. It has nothing to do with my reaction with you. From me being whole in Christ and found whole in Christ, living a peaceful life, will I have a good relationship with you? It's not the other way around, but we've been duped into believing it's the other way. So we let evil into our communities. We let books that shouldn't be in our schools in our schools. We let politicians who shouldn't be in our politicians passing bills, listening to people that should not be, they should not be listening to, redirect our constitution in this country of Belize. And we voted them in. Under the guise of, I'm living a peaceful life. No, you're not. Because you're not whole. You've negotiated with something. And that thing is still wandering around. Why does the Bible say, be careful in Peter? Our enemy is like what? A roaring lion, roaming, looking for whom he may devour. I see that as, that thing should be dead already. If there's a lion roaming around you, you have to ask your question, you have to ask the question, where has he presented himself before and why haven't I hunted him down and killed him? This is why I believe that when Benaiah went into the cave, this is my personal belief, when he went into the cave to kill the lion, it's because he saw, my personal belief, he saw the lion stalking David. He saw the lion watching David. Benaiah, being a servant, of the one who's on the throne, never seeking to sit on the throne, but a servant on the throne, is very, uh, he's watching, he's diligent, and he's observant of the king, watching the king's every move. It's a picture. Jesus said, I do what the Father says, I say what the Father, there's all these, the Bible is always linked to Jesus. So he's looking at this. He's a type. He sees it. The lion's doing something. Benaiah says, huh, this lion is up to no good and cannot be negotiated and will cause harm on other people. It'll either cause harm to David or his stock or somebody else here. So he hunts the lion down. The lion goes into a pit. Benaiah at that moment has a decision to make. Benaiah can let the lion go into the cave and hide because that's why it's not trying to suck him in there. It's cowardly. It's hiding. It's afraid of the one with thumbs. Why do, you, why do I say that? Because we are created in the image of God. Thumbs separate us. We're unique in nature. And so it goes in. Now he has a dilemma. Benaiah has this dilemma to make. Do I leave the lion for someone else to fight? Or do I go home? It's cold. The advantage, lion. Cats can see in the dark. We can't. He didn't have night, you know, didn't have night vision goggles. He couldn't put on his night vision goggles. He didn't have overwatch. Some dude sitting up on the hill with a 50 cal, Barrett 50 cal. He had to make a decision. 
if I don't, it goes back to, to, to Peter. If I don't kill it, it will roam around and devour somebody else. But and ultimately, if I don't kill it now, it's going to kill someone I love. You think about the implications of this with your family, fathers, porn. You better kill it or it will devour your children. Greed, you better kill it or it will devour your children. It will come after them because you're letting it roam, seeking to whom it may devour, kill it. So he does this thing. Benaiah does this. He kills this thing. He kills the lion. He doesn't negotiate, and he doesn't leave it for somebody else. And when the bear comes, he does the same thing. We live in a culture today that we're just like, me no watch, no face, let it put over there. I don't care whether it be politics, whether it be this. We wouldn't be in the, like, I'm convinced of this. Had we had a bunch of, I'm not judging, I'm just saying, had you had a bunch of people really, truly seeking after Jesus, not religion, not denomination, <clears throat> building the kingdom of heaven, advancing the kingdom of heaven, not advancing our own kingdoms, we wouldn't be in a political position that we are in Belize today. You wouldn't have to have someone trying to rewrite your constitution. There's two reasons why people rewrite constitution. One, you rewrite your constitution because you come out of a total dictatorship like Nazi Germany. And you come out of where one man killed everyone, was totally racist except for his family, and you have to rewrite the whole thing so that it's fair and equal for all. Or you rewrite your constitution that is good to become a constitution like what the first I mentioned is. You don't, don't take a constitution that works. If there's issues in it, you amend it. You don't rewrite it. I am concerned deeply with our politicians that they would even let this stand. You guys tracking? You rewrite a constitution. And I look at people that are on the panel and their agenda is not a godly agenda. So why then are we writing this, rewriting this constitution and not amending it? It's because we're letting the, the lion roam. Spiritually, these things that come into our life, we have to learn to kill them. So that when the giant comes, because now I'm talking to dudes and you talk to people, that are facing giants. They're facing the Goliaths of life. They don't know how to fight them. They don't know how to fight them. It's a simple way to fight them. You go down in the creek and you get five smooth stones. And then you put them in your little pouch. Then you walk onto the battlefield and you face the giant. <clears throat> the giant's gonna curse God. He's going to call you a coward and a wimp. And you want, this is the game plan. I'm telling you right now. You want to know how to kill a giant? Then you take one smooth stone out of your pouch and you begin to run at the giant. Don't wait for the giant to come to you. You close the gap. You pick the fight site. You run to that evil and then you throw that stone like you have never thrown it before. And I guarantee, I think if we see the rewind in heaven, he was way right. My personal opinion, because he's running. He's on a dead run. 
And comically, because God has a sense of humor, I often wonder, I, I think about things like this in my head. I wonder if he threw that thing and was like, oh, and it went, you know, Goliath's right here, and it goes, whoosh. He's like, huh? And then all of a sudden, it miraculously puts that curveball on it. Pow, right? That's how our Lord works, sense of humor. Psych. Just as the enemy starts to mock, I miss pow. I've thought about this stuff. What if Benaiah was a midget? I think about things like that. Samson was a midget. What if he's a little dude? Four foot one. These are things I think about, the miraculous things that God likes to do in the Bible. The Bible says with Samson, which we'll see in Judges as we go into Judges, that he carried this gate. And I'll talk to you about the dimensions of the gate later. It's an amazing, huge gate. It's not like a little gate. It's a massive gate. Like it would be as wide as this opening right here, thick. It's probably 18 inches thick, easy, thick. He pulled it out of the ground, pillars and gate, and takes off running. He runs, I think, in Scripture, and I'll, I'll guarantee it, but it's over 12 miles to the next town. Here's the sense of humor of God. My, personally, this is stuff I love. I think about this stuff. This is your pastor. What if you were a shepherd on the hill? And in the moonlight, all you see is two little legs under a massive gate, trucking down a trail. Dude, you would put the wine bib away, man. You would put that, you'd be like, okay. (laughs) Right? It's a sense of humor of God. But it's also the power of God. And I bring that point up too, because sometimes we need to attack the enemy, these spiritual things in our lives, but we also got to smile at them. You got to smile because they're trying to intimidate you with a legitimate real power, but it's nothing compared to the power that you have in you. But if you look at it from the natural on your own, it's an overwhelming force and you're defeatable. But when you look at it from a supernatural perspective of who lives within you, the promise of Jesus Christ to you and I, when you look at this big problem, whether it be financial, whether it be worry of the future, whether it be relational issues, whether it be health issues, whatever it may be, when you look at it from the perspective of the supernatural, the Holy Ghost within you, the same Holy Ghost that Jesus said, you'll do greater things than these. It's because it's his spirit then suddenly what the enemy is presenting to you is laughable. Is the worst thing he's going to do is kill you? That's the worst. I can think of a lot of other stuff. That's the worst. Do me the favor. Go see Jesus. Right? I shared with you before, the last thing you want to do is, the last thing the enemy wants to do is kill somebody crushing evil. Because God will just bring 10 more in his place. The odds are always in God's favor. We've just got to give it to him and remove our hands from it. You see, this is the situation that we're in. We need to partner with him in our world today. That's why the book of Judges is so amazing as we enter into this book of Judges. These situations that 
we read about in Judges are not unique to the world. They've already taken place. History repeats itself. I told my family growing up, I told all my kids, I, 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 I want you to be smart and I want you to be educated. I want you to be learned. But as your father, I only care about two subjects for you. You guys do whatever you want, math, whatever. Larry would go, no, it's numbers, numbers. You got to be good at numbers. I didn't care about numbers. If they want to do numbers, they can do numbers. Me, there was two subjects. You need to be brilliant in history. You need to understand history from the inception of time to the day that we live in and watch yesterday like it was the beginning of time. The second, but the most important is know the word of God. Those two subjects I want you to be an expert in. All the other stuff is bonus. Why? Because those who don't know history repeat it. And it never, and when you repeat history, typically it's negative way. And how do you thwart it? Is when I see history being done in a certain way, I counter it with what God says. Because if it was wrong this way, God has the solution for the right way. That's why I taught my kids that. Why? Because judges is repeating itself. Except we don't get second chances anymore. We are now moving into this time of the second coming. We're moving into this time where we have become truly, and I've shared this, but like never before, who here likes John the Baptist? Anyone like John the Baptist? Most people like him, but they don't like him. You're like, do you mean I like what he did? Do I want to emulate him and do what he did? No, I don't want to live with camel hair, eat locusts and honey and live in the desert, right? Well, welcome to Belize. That's where we live. So anyhow, just kidding. We eat bugs here, honey. I don't know if I'd want to wear camel hair, but the reality is going back to this, honestly, we are a type of John the Baptist. We are in these final days. We are making straight when he was one crying in the wilderness it is history in this weird prophetic way repeating itself where the first time we was making way John the Baptist as a soul, listen, it all ties together. You want, want me to blow your mind this morning? As a soul independent, crying out, right? Because all of us weren't yet part of the body as one. Christ hadn't forgiven the sins and drawn us all in to be baptized, to be grafted into the body of Christ. It was by that individuality through that God would find you righteous, trippy. John the Baptist shows up, what does he do? John the Baptist is the one crying in the wilderness, right? He's going to straighten the paths of who? Of the coming of the Lord, who is going to bring what? Salvation to all mankind, right? And all mankind, upon the acceptance of, of salvation, become one in Christ, part of the family, and have eternal salvation by the forgiveness of their sins for believing and confessing their sins to Christ and following him, not following church. That's the mistake. Not denomination. If you know your denominational views better than you know the Bible, you're wrong. You are wrong. And shame on the pastor for teaching denominational views over Jesus. Shame on him. Now watch this. We live in a day today where we've put our faith and are now following Christ. All of us are living over here now as these little John the Baptist as what? What? Proclaiming not the coming of the Lord, but the second coming, the final coming of Christ where it all comes to an end. 
Jesus said, you'll do much greater things than these. Then you've witnessed, holy cow, the body of Christ becomes a massive movement of John the Baptist proclaiming. Think about what he did. What did John the Baptist do? And think about Jesus' command to us. This is good. This is from Jesus. You should be writing this down. What did John the Baptist do? He came from the wilderness. What is the world? How does the world see you today? As you're barbaric, stupid, and you don't get on because you don't, you don't believe in the LGBTQ plus community, and you're barbaric, and you guys live in your own little world. You live in the wilderness. The world sees you in the wilderness. John the Baptist came from the wilderness. What did he preach? Repentance, salvation, and then what did he do? What did he do? Baptized. Yo, look at this. Hey, the one, I'm not even worthy of unleashing his sandal. Here he comes. This is the, this is the lamb. This is him. I can't baptize you. No, you will baptize me. Heaven open up, says what? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You think this is by coincidence? Yes, it is exalting of Jesus, but then what does Jesus say about you and I? This all ties together. We just miss it. So we negotiate with evil. Jesus then says to you and I, you are now one with the Father and me as I am one with the Father. If you and I are one with the Father, what is the Father how is his attitude towards us? Well, pleased. Jesus is sharing his inheritance. Then what does Jesus tell us to do in Matthew 28? Go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I taught you and the power I am with you till the end of this age. Do you see how this historical picture of John the Baptist is repeating itself today in us, but now we're completed, we're made whole, found living what? Peaceful lives. What was stolen? Remember, I went through that whole thing. There's all these meanings in Hebrew and Greek, shalom, right? And all that where it comes in that you have been, what was stolen is now brought back in and made whole, brought to completion with God. That's what peaceful living is. I am made whole, the shoes of peace, who Jesus is. The, remember, we talked about this. I'm recapping because it's important for us as we go into Judges. When I go into it, the whole body of Christ, the armor of God, think about it, the armor of God, fancy stories, Bible study stories, all about that. Blah, okay, great, cool. All the stories about the armor, what does the armor say? The armor is the armor of God. It's not the armor of this world. It's not the armor of you. It's not the armor of the fruits of the spirit. It's not the armor of your denominational views or your religious views. It is the armor of God. Well, who then is the armor of God? The helmet of salvation. Who is your salvation? Jesus covers your brain. Who is your righteousness? A blessed breastplate of righteousness. Who is it? 
He is our righteousness. We are found righteous in Jesus. Who is the truth? I am the way, the truth, the belt of truth, Jesus. Who is your faith? Jesus. Who is the protector of your faith? Jesus, right? The shoes of peace, Jesus. The shoes of peace is not for us to be indifferent and not fight. The shoes of peace are a reckon, because it's Jesus that you live in a firm foundation. You are built not on sand. Think about how it all ties together. We break it into little stories to fit our denominational views. If the man builds his house on what? The solid rock. Who is Jesus referred to in Exodus? The rock. So if your shoes are shod with Jesus Christ, the peace, you are on solid rock. Not to not be in the fight, but to be in the fight. My goodness. And the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, comes from your tongue. It's Jesus. The armor of God is Jesus. It is Jesus. So we live in this world now where we are, like honestly, we, we went through Peter, we've gone through Thessalonians looking at the end time, but I want to go to another passage that's becoming really quick as we go into Judges. Just we're going to pre-judge this day. We're not going to hit chapter one. We're just going to talk about them. But I want to hit this verse that God's been showing to me, Lisa and I, and then I've kind of grabbed it. Isaiah chapter one was... I've, been, I've held on to for years. When we first started combating human trafficking, it was the passage that God took me to that said, look, this is, you're called to this. Actually, the whole body is called to this. But then we began to look at some other passages and God gave me this other one. And it's what I'm trying to enlist you into. You're being invited to fight, but not just against human trafficking. You're being invited to fight for our country and our neighborhoods and our families. There's lions going into caves that you're going to need to go into. And here's the deal. You're going to get clawed. You can't go into the cave and not come out scarred. The one thing that I believe, listen with David, before we go into Jeremiah, just so that you know with Benaiah, Benaiah was picked. Benaiah was a champion. David was a champion. David doesn't need bodyguards. A champion in scripture, depending on historians, will tell you that they killed between 50 to 100 men in a single day of battle with their sword. That's how you became a champion. David was a champion. All of David's mighty men, champions. They have the ability to do this. Eleazar, Joshua Boehm, 600 men, 300 men. I'm telling you, it's craziness. David makes Benaiah the chief of his bodyguard at the palace. Why does David need a bodyguard? You can't say, you're going to send a champion to fight David? He'll kill him. He'll kill your champion. So he takes this guy and he says, Benaiah, I need you to be the chief of my bodyguards in the palace. You will be the guy. As a matter of fact, you will be such a guy that on my death, you will chase the general of the army of Israel and he'll be terrified of you even when you're an old man. Read it in scripture, you can read it. He told Solomon, Get, tell, tell Benaiah to go after this, the, was it Joab or the, the, whatever his name was, the general at the time. He says, you tell, him, you tell Benaiah to finish him. He's a traitor and he's an enemy against God. That dude ran into the, temp into the tabernacle and held on to the altar, terrified of an old man. Benaiah is an old man. One historian said that Benaiah 
Listen to this. Benaiah in his old age, bent over, scarred, failing eyesight, when he'd show up on a battlefield against the Philistines or the Canaanites, they would not fight for the day if they saw Benaiah on the battlefield because in his old age, he was still better than the 10 best that they brought to the fight as an old man. David says, I need you to be a chief of my bodyguard. And you go, why, why, why? Because Benaiah had the scars that David bore. Benaiah had the scratches across his check. You, you don't fight a lion and not get bit and scratched. Guys, you're gonna, when you go into the cave, you're going to get scratched and bit. Don't be a coward. Remember what I said? Jesus hates cowards. Go into the cave. You're going to get scarred. Here's another thing. Why did he pick Benaiah? Because he went. It's a tight, guys, this is important for us to grasp. Why did he pick him? Because he killed, he had the look. He understood the faraway look of being asked to do something that no one else would do that would scar you, but yet you would still be equipped to enter into heaven. It says that Benaiah killed two champions of Moab. I tend to believe it doesn't go really deeper into that. I think he killed them on the same day. You have to think about how bad of a dude Benaiah was. Benaiah was a bad dude, man. This dude is not the guy. This is the guy you want on your side. I think he, two of them, dude's capable of killing 100 men each. Benaiah goes out and goes, you want to fight? I'll fight you right now. Be an enemy of God. So he carries this look and he's battle-hardened. The Bible says that David, when they would sing the songs about King David, see, this is what I'm talking about. Listen to me. What would they sing? Saul kills his thousands. David kills his 10,000. And I look and I go, Benaiah kills not one champion. That would be the thousand. Benaiah kills two champions of Moab. You get where I'm going here? The Bible says that David killed a giant. The Bible says that Benaiah killed a giant. He wrestled face to face with a seven-foot Egyptian, took, took, wrestled him. It was in a fist fight. They were in a fist fight. They could smell each other's breath. And Benaiah took his club from him and beat him to death. David picked Benaiah because he bore the scars of the king. Some of us are going, Lord, use me. Lord, use me. But you bear no scars because you're too cowardly to get off the couch and go into a cave. I was created for something more. Then go do more. But it's going to, you're going to have to bear scars. Paul bore the scars with honor. You guys tracking what I'm saying here? It's unique. We want, we live in a world today, that's why it's repeating itself. We want all of the glory and honor with no sacrifice. I want everything that everyone else has, but I don't want to pay the price. Influencers, crack me up. That famous influencer, he has like 12 million on TikTok, over a million on Instagram was out hiking in Hawaii, fell down the cliff like 80 feet. He's all scarred up. He's got all this stuff. They're pleading on, they're pleading on, on social media 
He started a GoFundMe page because he says he doesn't have any money. But I'm looking at all the stuff, man. He's like, he's got more. It's like a joke. That's what they want. Instant gratification. Guys, sometimes it's, this is what it says about Benaiah. You ready for this? It says, Benaiah trailed it. He hunted the lion. Frig, man. What are you waiting for the lion to come to your door for? Hunt it. Turn the tables on the enemy. We wait. Oh, God, it's outside, right outside. Hurry, lock the door and shut the windows. No, open the door and run outside with your freaking gun and shoot it. Go hunt it. Change the battle site. Go hunt it for somebody else. You're going to get scars. But when you bear the scars, you get invited into the, into the freaking temple. Do you, I want you to see the picture here. Benaiah was invited from the outer courts to the inner court to be with David, who was a type of the king of eternity. David was represented of that time of what the theocracy is going to look like in heaven forever. One king, one moral rule, one beautiful no law, no sinful kingdom. And he said, Benaiah, come up here with me because I need guys like you. I need ladies like you. Yet we go, well, I don't know. I just want God to use me, but it's, I might lose my job. You might lose your job, okay? Might cost you money, okay? Might cost your life. We're not called to that. That's not our worry. Our worry is like the one in the wilderness Proclaiming the way, Jesus is coming. And I'll live my life as such. We're going to make mistakes. This is why as you look at this, let me go to this verse here. It helps us understand Jeremiah chapter 22. As we move into this repeated cycle of judges. Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 3 says, this is what the Lord says. See the time here, okay. This is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. It's our job. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows and stop murdering the innocent. This is what God says. We are to free the oppressed. We are to bring justice where there is no justice. We are to stop the wrong towards widows and orphans. 
We are to stop evil in our own lives. We are to do what is right. Notice that God never says, it cracks me up when people say, be good, be good, be good. There's no place in the Bible where God tells you to be good. There's not. I hear pastors say, that's not true. That's not, you read it. You cannot find it. Over and over, he says to you and I to do what? Do good. Not be good. Being good is hypocrisy. It's putting a mask on for a period of time so all of you see me being good. Doing good is action. It's a way to live. It's me doing what the Father does. You get it? And when I fall down and I pick back up and I'm picked back up and I ask for forgiveness, the world then, there's where it comes into play, guys. The world then gets to see the Father doing what he told us to do. He's doing good to you and I when he picks us back up and restores us in that position. It's this brilliant masterpiece. We just walk by it every day. No, I don't know, I don't know. He's like, no, I want you in the fight. I want you doing good. I need it, this action. The book of Judges, it's filled with a bunch of people. When you look at it, it's filled with just stupidity. <laughs> and God uses people that are stupid people in Judges that become great people. It's, I mean, honestly, read ahead. You'll read stuff and go, what? And as we'll talk about, God sees us there as he, he sees the end product of us in heaven. So he calls it down on us here, but we're not quite there yet, but he's giving that to us here. When you read through this, this whole thing, you got to look at Gideon hiding, unsure of himself. God sees him completely different. Deborah, the cowardly people, if you go, Deborah, then we'll go too. It's like, he's like, uh, it's like as if God is saying, this is what you're giving me to work with. Like, this is what I have to work with in Judges. Shamgar, I'll talk about Shamgar. I love Shamgar. There's like one little blip about Shamgar in the Bible. This is what it says. We'll get to it. So Shamgar is a judge. Kills 600 people, 600 men with a sharp pointy stick because they came to oppress the people of Israel. They were bringing some kind of evil into the land, like burning babies or something. He's like, shh, 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 sharpens the spear and goes and kills 600. One dude, that's all it says about him. Like, what the? I love Shamgar. Here's a funny story. I was at Home Depot one time in the States, a big hardware store, and I had to buy a 10-foot grounding rod, copper grounding rod for electricity driving the ground. And the lady's scanning stuff and I stand up at the counter and I, I'm holding, I, I stand like this. And she looks at me and I go, I am Shamgar. I killed 600 men with this sharp pointy stick. She goes, give me the tag, sir. <laughs> That's all she says to me. I'm like, oh, okay. Move people out of the way. Beep. Dude, these are the type of people God uses. You're like, yeah, we see one right now right? God does not require good people to do good work. Did you hear me? This terrifies me personally. I don't want to sit on the couch 
knowing I've been created to do something great, the destiny for others to follow in the kingdom of heaven. Because a good person sits on a couch as a coward, God uses a bad person to do good. That's shameful. That he has to look outside of his house. The thing is, a father, we try to build stuff for our kids to give to them because we want them to do what the father does and we want to help them. It's shameful when we have to look outside of that and find someone else to do what our kids should do. Because a person outside that I pay is more faithful than the one that I've raised. Dear God, help us. That's what I'm talking about. That's brutal, huh? It's sharp and pointy. It hurts a little bit. It's not manipulative. It's true. We are the body of Christ. And in Judges, we see that sometimes he has to use people because the good people won't do it. He wants to use these kings. And I'm not saying Deborah's bad, but he wants to use these guys to defeat evil. And they're so cowardly that he has to go do another thing. And in some ways, shame her. God didn't shame her. He lifted her and raised her up, but she's shamed before the people. And the men are shamed. It's like crazy. Men, it's our job to take the hits for the ladies. It's not the ladies' job to take the hits for the men. It's a fact. We're supposed to let them go do what they want to do. Let them be the beauty of God. The beauty of God. We were created in the masculinity. They were created in the beauty. The masculinity side is the rough, scarred side. It is that warrior side. Doesn't mean that they can't be warriors, but it's honest for the women that get cried. I can be a warrior too. Yes, you can, but you're not supposed to be that. You're the beauty of God. You're the, the feminine side of God, the beauty of God. The thing that by a mere peering upon it changes and softens the heart of man. That's what you were created for. You weren't created to get, and I've shared this before. You ever seen a dude with a big old scar across his face? Everybody, women alike go, ooh, that look like her, but it's kind of sexy. Yeah, got a trophy, right? Chicks have a scar on their face. No one goes, kind of sexy. Everybody goes, oh, whoa, whoa. Why? Because in the depth of who we know, beauty is never supposed to be scarred. Do you hear me? And how many men let their beauty be scarred? Because they're unwilling to fight for them. Beauty has a way of making the masculine easier to handle in public. When I'm with Lisa, we have a little bit more influence. You understand what I'm saying? When I'm alone from her, people kind of like, whoa, dude, is, is he going to go off today? Same with you guys. Beauty has a way of doing I had a quote I didn't bring it with me. It's this beautiful picture of, I heard a quote this week on a book that I'm reading, and it said that it's my wife's job. This is what the author said. It's my 
It's my wife's job to keep my boys alive. It's my job to make them hard to kill. The nurturing, beautiful part of keeping life in my son, of my children, the beauty, speaking that life. You can do this. I'll nurture you. I'll feed you. The man's job is to say, brother, this is how you stay alive in the fight. Notice what I'm saying. It's not, it's not, it's the man's job isn't to let the wife just do everything. The man's job is to take the son or the daughter and say, you're going into a crazy world. You better get ready for the fight. So you listen to what I tell you to do, because this is how you stay alive in the fight. Right? I love that scene from uh, 13 Hours, when you have that station chief. The station chief in that movie is like an old mother. Honestly, I look at it and I go, my gosh, and he's always worried about this. Yeah, make us look at you. If, we're, if you're not here, then we're left alone, blah, blah, blah. Well, then the fight comes to them, and the leader in the fight looks at him, he goes, looks at this old station chief and goes, takes upon the role of the masculine. And he looks at the station chief and he says, you're in my world now, you do what I tell you to do. We've lost that. Judges shows us that in our world, what we're doing, we will see it again in the book of Judges. We're going to see it. And you'll go, oh my goodness, how do we fix it? By bringing godly people back into leadership who could give a rat's rear end what's politically correct or woke, but what is just, right, and good. That's what Judges introduces. And it shows that when they turn away from it, the cycle repeats again. I look for, I'm, I'm going to have fun. We're going to have fun in Judges because there's a lot. I can be like, oh. but there's also parts in there where you get to be tender and you get to see the mercy of God in Judges, the grace of God in Judges but you also get to see the masculine part, the ferociousness of God, to where he tells us stop taming evil because you're just fooling yourself. You're not taming it, you're making it stronger because you're feeding it. You learn in Judges that it's better to be the hunter than be the hunted. If you think about it, we'll see that with Samson. When Samson quit being the hunter, he became the hunted. And when he became the hunted, he was blinded. Whoa, there's deep spiritual implications to that. A man of God who pursues the world, lets the world hunt him, and is blinded to the ways of God, and is now afflicted by the ways of the world, and he got what he wanted. Oh, deep, beautiful stuff about how to live and who our God is. Amen? I love it. Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we, as we go into Judges, as we go into and just study in your word, Lord, that you are the captain of salvation. Lord Jesus, that you are the one that desires that we not negotiate with evil, 
but that we kill it, that we slay those things which cause harm into our lives spiritually. Lord, that we are the ones that bring right and goodness into the world, that we live to do good. We do justice and we bring justice. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, allow us to defeat the things like pornography, to kill it off in our lives, to kill off the greed and the hatred, the jealousy. Lord God, the things, the bigotry, the racism in our hearts, allow us to see as you would have us see. Lord, let us do what you do, say what you say. Lord, let us not back down to evil, but smile at it and then crush it. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. And we, we as a body of Christ here and whoever's watching abroad, we confess this to you, that we need your help. We need your help. We need the filling of your Holy Ghost that our home, our home, our personal home and our homes and our facilities are yours, are yours to be used for your glory. God, we need you. Forgive us of our sins. Lord, our inadequacy. Let, Lord, forgive us for believing the lies that Satan speaks over us every day. Lord, allow us to see as you see us, the finished product in heaven eating at your table. Allow us to see ourselves in that way. Allow us not to be content, Lord, in this, on this earth, in this life. Lord, we don't want to be content. We want to be in you. We want to be grateful for the things that you've given us, but we want to continue to move and become who you've called us to be. Lord, I pray blessings on everybody. Wow, Lord, you're so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.